you have your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to land most of the evening in John 21. So you can go ahead and open to that. Last chapter of the book of John. John chapter 21. All right, before we dive in, let's, let's pray, shall we? Father, what do you want to say to us? Instead of me praying what you should say, just what do you want to say? What else do you want to do? Because God, I know you're not done yet. And you're not done when, you leave, when we leave this place either, God. Like this is just the beginning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to each person in this place. I pray that you would speak things that are specific to them that are according to your word. That for those, they still haven't surrendered to you, and maybe some, they just, they can't. They just, they don't see it yet, but it's not, it's not disrespect or a, it's not from a place of arrogance of, I haven't had to yet. It's just they don't get it yet, and Holy Spirit, I thank you that your desire is to meet them where they are but to bring them to Jesus. God, what do you want to say? I pray that as you speak that you would get me out of the way, that I'd have no agenda or opinion, that only the truth of your message, the truth of your word, the truth of your gospel would come out with power. Power to change and transform dead things into life. So, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I was standing over there on the side and I was thinking about the first time we all got together to worship, like to worship through singing. And it happened last week at the other camp I was at. And guys, I love camp ministry, and here's why. You come in and everyone's kind of like, okay, so what do we do? It's just kind of, you kind of get into it. Some are like into it right when you jump in. And but I'd say for the most part, we're pretty reserved and we're just kind of getting off the bus and we're trying to figure things out. And, and in less than a week, we're singing the same songs we started with and yet hands are raised or knees are bowed or excitement expressed. And you say, well, God, that's just the camp high. Is it just the camp high or is it the fact that we got alone with Jesus for a week? It's really not any cell service. There's really not a whole lot of social media that we could jump into. And maybe for some, you're sitting there going, I'm feeling it, I know. You know you're having these, these, these little attacks hitting you because you haven't had it. What would happen if we kind of continued this when we, go to, when we go home? 
that I know for many of you, you sit there and go, Brad, Brian, I've had this experience before, and then I get home. And in like three weeks, it's kind of back to normal. But friends, here's the thing. We cannot blame anyone on that. What I want you to understand is what, ha- what happens in a place like this. And it's not just Hume. It's wherever people will gather and focus in on Jesus. Friends, it can happen you one-on-one with Jesus. Desiring for him to reveal by his Holy Spirit, but not for us to be reliant upon an experience with him, but to trust him in what it is that he says. An example. You ever have those times where it feels like God's not anywhere close? Has anyone ever had that? Like he took off. Put your hands up. Yeah. So then all of a sudden we go, oh, it's not working. God's not close. And so I need to do something else. Instead of letting that happen, what if we pull back? Take a breath, think through it. And when God's word says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We trust the word of God more than the feelings or the experiences that we're having. Now, there may be sin in my life that I haven't confessed to God, and that might break intimacy with him. And here's what we do. We confess. The word confess means to agree with God and just to tell him, God, I confess this. And friends, there is freedom when we do that. You don't have to go before God ashamed. He already knows everything. Guys, you know, God knows you will sin more than you think you will. And you're his if you've surrendered to Jesus. And when you just freely, openly confess to him, then the enemy can't play with that anymore. Guys, there's freedom in confession. There's freedom in repentance. So does it have to stay here? No. But friends, do not, do not say something like, I don't know what happened. Three weeks later, It all went back to normal. Friends, you now have the choice to answer this question. Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? And if he is worth it, then you will do whatever it takes to what? Follow him. See, after Jesus resurrected, he revealed himself to Mary Magdalene, who then she ran and told all the disciples. And they come back and they see the empty tomb. Well, at least the beloved disciple, John, he names himself that, he runs off, actually second, Peter takes off first, and then John makes sure that in his gospel that we understand, hey, Peter took off first, and then the disciple whom Jesus loved outran him. I'm like, man, guys are always competitive no matter what. You see that in it, right? It's like Peter ran first, but man, I'm so, I mean, the beloved disciple, he is so fast, outran him, took him down. And then Jesus reveals himself to his disciples. But before all this happens, before he even takes the cross, in John chapter 14, starting in verse 15, Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Stop there for just a second. Friends, I'm not going to question whether or not you love Jesus, but your life will tell you whether or not you do. Jesus says, I know those who really love me, Not by those who show up to camp or those who have some song experience. They put their hands up at the right time. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about I know those who love me by those who obey me. When Jesus says, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for those who persecute you. 
When you pray, I don't want you to be out so everyone can see. I want you to do it quietly. And here's how you pray. When you fast, this is what you do. The lowliest of lowly people, you go after them because that's where Jesus would go. Friends, Jesus has left us his church to continue his work. And can I just express something that's just, oh, it just burdens my heart. Haven't you noticed that the word church has become a place you go to or an event that you attend? Think about it. You want to come to church? Are you going to church? Hey, did you show up? Let's show up at the church. And it's a building. Guys, you know what the word ecclesia actually means? It's not even a Christian term. Ecclesia, church. Here's what it means. A gathering of people brought together to, to fulfill a purpose. Has nothing to do with the building. Has nothing to do with the worship service. It has everything to do with Christians coming together. This gathering of God's people brought together to do what? To accomplish something. To go and make disciples. We've and we've just turned it into just show up to the church. And then those people that get paid, they'll tell you about Jesus because I'm not sure that I can. Friends, every single one of you who have a relationship with God through Jesus now have the Holy Spirit in you. The same Holy Spirit that is in me is in you. And God has called you to go and make disciples. You do not need me. You do not need the preacher. You can do it. In fact, what happens on a Sunday morning in a worship service should be supplemental to what you are doing and how you are living to advance God's kingdom and to push forward the gospel. It should be supplemental, not primary. Friends, you can do this. Why? Because look at what Jesus says next. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and watch this, and will be in you. What? Does that freak you out? Like God says, I want to be with you so much, I'm going to be in you. Do we even recognize the Holy Spirit anymore? Like if the Holy Spirit left you for a day, and this is anybody that's like, hey, you've been walking with Jesus for a while. We have the Holy Spirit. If he left for one day, would you even notice? Like what in my life, what in the past month has actually required me to seek the counsel, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit? What has actually required faith? Or am I just living like everybody else? I love the fact that Jesus says, I'm going to send you another helper, which means Jesus was the first one. And then he's going to go, he says, I'm going to send you another one, who is the third person of the Trinity, fully God, Holy Spirit, empowering, enabling you, anointing you, walking with and in you. Guys, this is God with us. In John 16, starting verse 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. In other words, you don't know it all yet, and it's okay. I don't know it all yet, and it's okay. 
For some, you sit there and go, wait a minute. So you're, you're saying you don't completely understand what you believe. So say you're not a follower of Jesus. You're looking at me, listening to me, going, you don't totally understand what you believe. No, I believe the things that God has revealed so far, but here's the joy. God's not done teaching yet. So when you sit there and go, well, I won't believe anything unless I completely understand it. Really? You won't believe anything? Explain to me gravity. Explain to me how your brain works. And we said, to go, I won't believe anything unless I totally get it. Guys, I don't want to give my life up to something or someone that I completely understand. See, it should be like this. Imagine a college prof, PhD in mathematics, trying to explain the hardest parts of mathematics to a three-year-old. And the three would be like, huh? He's just got his can of soup. <laughs> Guys, that's what it's like with God. He's like, you're not going to get everything, but he'll explain it along the way. But I guess here's the question I have for you. Will you walk with him? Because it won't feel mountaintop experience every day. Sometimes it's going to feel really mundane. It's like, I'm just going to get up and I'm going to read the Bible. Yeah. And when you read the Bible, it's God speaking. So will I experience that every time? I have no clue. I have no clue. But I don't want you to worship the experience of it. I want you to worship the Jesus of the Bible. But the Holy Spirit will reveal truth. But why do we need the helper? Just so we can learn more? On January 31st, 2021, in the southwestern region of India... There's a pastor named Pastor Ashok and 150 of other believers that were gathered for a Sunday morning worship gathering. While they start, right before they started, this large group of Hindu nationalists barged into their worship gathering shouting about Hindu gods. Then those Hindu nationalists then locked the door of the building from the inside and beat Pastor Ashok and other believers. As they're beating the pastor, the pastor's daughter named Miriam, she was 13 at the time, comes running and hits her knees, starts begging from her knees to the men, please stop beating my, my dad. And she's begging and their response was, they kicked her in the stomach so hard that she was left in the hospital for two weeks with internal bleeding. They continued to beat 28 believers, including women and children, for the next 45 minutes. See, Pastor Ashok started his ministry in 2004. He's been attacked three times while leading more than 100 Hindus to Christ. During a second attack in 2010, his pregnant wife, Kala, was beaten so severely that she lost their baby and was left unconscious for three days. And when I finished reading this, this article, quote, Pastor Ashok and his church members know they, they could face further attacks, but they continue to pray for their persecutors. Many of the believers said they forgive their attackers and want them to know Jesus too. I came across this article right before I, right before I drove up here to be with you all for this week. It says this, growing up as a Muslim in Uganda, Jeffrey often heard his father express hatred for Christians. But in 2021, Jeffrey placed his faith in Jesus Christ after hearing the gospel while providing technical services at a Christian worship gathering. 
When his father learned about his newfound faith, he beat and tortured Jeffrey before finally kicking him out of his house. Members of the global body of Christ helped Jeffrey, his wife, and their two young children, and Jeffrey's hope remains firm in Christ despite the persecution from his father. Listen to this, quote, I have seen the power of God in my life, Jeffrey said. They took away the house and the land and threw us out, but they cannot take away our Jesus. Friends, I ask you, is Jesus worth it? Because I cannot promise you, the Bible doesn't promise you. If you follow Christ, then everything turns out beautiful and perfect. It turns out right based upon God's definition of right. But guys, when you read this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you see why we need a helper? Because there are going to be a whole lot of people that don't like us. Why? Because of a message that we bring. There's one way to God. There's only one way. Now, here's the thing. Some people can't stand Christians. Why? Because there's some people who call themselves Christians that look nothing like Jesus. The way they respond to the world, the way they respond to quote-unquote sinners, looks nothing like Jesus in the Gospels. It's almost like some people have made this battleground against people. All the while forgetting that in the scriptures it says, hey, our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's against the spiritual forces of this dark world. It's a spiritual battle. And we pray and we fight against the spiritual forces of this dark world. We use the word of God as the sword of the spirit. This is God's word that we get to use. But never in retaliation, never in anger against people. Why? Because before Christ... I too was an object of God's wrath. But by the grace and mercy of God, he called me and he gave me the faith necessary that I might surrender to Jesus. And he invited me into a relationship with himself and he calls me righteous and forgiven and son of the king. Guys, I don't deserve this. We don't deserve this. But as long as we keep using the tactics that the world uses, thinking that we're going to get different results, friends, that's just the definition of fool. We live. We move. We respond. We react. We act. We do like Jesus. Because it's different. And what Jesus did then is what Jesus wants to do now. And he's given us his Holy Spirit to see that it happens. So if we know that this is the truth, persecution will come. What do we do? It's like, oh, great. There's like 14 steps. Give me one. Give me 14. Number one, I'm ready. I got one. Follow Jesus. Like, well, that's stupid. Really? Like, you went to school for that? No, I didn't learn that in school. I learned that just from Jesus. No, but there's got to be more. Like, there's always at least four points to every sermon. And if there's not four points, then the sermon's pretty much cred. Guys, I don't have it. Because when you know that Jesus is worth it, you will want to follow Jesus. Instead of me giving you four points on how life can be perfect, how about I just say this, fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with him, and you'll want to follow him. How do I know? The Bible says this, that he who began the good work in you will carry it to completion. Guys, that came from a guy 
who before Christ oppressed the church. His desire was to destroy every Christian on the planet. You know who he was? Paul. Friends, before we start deciding who is deserving of God's grace and who isn't, who might come to Jesus and who might not, I always go back to Paul. Because in our minds, he should have never been able to. But by the grace of God, friends, we have read his letters for the last 2,000 years because they're inspired by the Holy Spirit and lead us to truth. And in that same letter, he said this, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I go, wow, is he depressed? No. That comes from what's called the letter of joy. That's Philippians. Guys, picture it, whether it's house arrest or he's in a jail cell, however it is. He says earlier, before that, he says the whole Praetorian Guard, the Praetorian Guard is kind of like the Navy SEALs of the day. And so you can imagine as Paul sitting there, maybe there'd be a day where one guard comes in and he's chained to Paul. And the whole time, can you imagine Paul just talking about Jesus constantly? The next day, the next guard's got to go in and this first one goes, just telling you, he's just not going to shut up. You can say whatever you want, but he's just going to keep talking. He's like, I'm fine. I'll take care of this. Goes in, looks at Paul, looks at Paul and says, hey, if you talk about Jesus today, I'm going to kill you. Paul's like, oh, you promise? You promise? Because a dude yesterday said that and he didn't. I kept going. I was just rattling. I just rattled about Jesus. He just got mad. Never pulled out the sword. I was like, come on. Why? For him, to, for him to live was Christ, to die was gain. In that moment, who do you think's in prison, the guard or Paul? The guard. Why? Because Paul's relationship with Jesus was not dependent upon the circumstances. Why? Because his Jesus is above the circumstances. He who began the good work in you will carry it to completion. Why? Because God doesn't fail. And when you surrender to him, he gives himself fully to you. So you just follow, you just walk with him. In John 21, some of the disciples go off to go fishing. Like Jesus has already revealed himself to him, but now he's kind of off doing something. Some of the disciples go, hey, we're going to go fishing. One of them is Peter, good old Peter. Remember Peter? Gosh, got to love that guy. Down to verse four, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. One word. Anybody like to fish? Any fisher people in here? Fisher people? I want to make sure I'm politically correct when I say that. Yeah, you like to fish? Uh, do you like to fish if you don't catch anything? Like if you tell somebody, I'm going fishing. Now, some people like, it's like, I just throw it in there. I just read or I just nap or whatever. I don't even care. But the goal is to bring some fish home, right? So people are like, did you catch anything? No. Kind of feel like a little bit of a failure. They're up all night. Some dude they don't even know on the shore doesn't call him, hey, men. He goes, hey, children. What? Did you guys catch anything? No. And he said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Well, sure, that's it. That's all the problem was. Like they bring the boat out and the fish are like, they always go to the right. Just let's come to get grandpa. He's like, what the heck? And they bring grandpa over here. And then it's like, they always throw it that side. And Jesus is like, just throw it on the other side. Oh, sure. Who is this guy? Except they did it. 
So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul, in, haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, stop there for just a second, that's John. John's talking about himself, and he gives himself that title. The disciple whom Jesus loved. And I used to think, what a jerk. Like, you arrogant little pain in the rear. Like, seriously, like, I'm his favorite. <laughs> like, why would he do that? And instead of going, just say yourself. Except, then it hit me. What would happen if you actually believed, you truly believed that you were the beloved of God? Like, what if that was your identity, nothing else? We have all these things that we want to identify ourselves with today. But I feel like they're all lacking. But what if today you just accepted, I'm the beloved, let me just say this. How many of you believe without a shadow of doubt that, you are, that God just loves you? You have no doubt. God loves you. Hands way up. Not Baptist, like charismatic, right here. Okay, hands way up, 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 up. All right, most of you, put your hands down. How many of you believe without a shadow of doubt that God likes you? What? They're like, mm, wait, 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 what? what do you mean by like? Do you mean like or like, 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 like? What, what do you mean? <laughs> Isn't it weird? We know he loves us, but we think he's just putting up with us. And yet the book of Deuteronomy, you know what he calls his people? My treasured possession. Friends, God loves us, likes us, adores us. Guys, if I could get you to walk out of here knowing anything, this is one of the main things. He's not putting up with you. I remember years ago when I was here, it was, on a, it was on the night where we invite kids to surrender to Jesus, and it happens. I love when it happens. And most of the time, I don't know if you notice, like when I'm done, I, I sneak off and I sneak to the back and I just sit down because I'm just, I'm an introvert, man. I just like being by myself and, um, and I just like watching what God does. I don't, I don't feel like I need to be the show, but for some reason, I actually sat down right here back in the day. And this 15-year-old guy comes walking up and he's, he's like, uh, Brian, can I talk to you? And he's getting all emotional. I'm like, sure. He's like, Brian, I just, I don't feel worthy. He could barely get the word worthy. You ever, <laughs> you ever heard someone who's trying to speak when they're crying? Like you ever been to a wedding when the, the, the father of the bride has to give the toast and he gets up there and says he's like this big strong guy, he's ready to go picks up the mic and say, I just want to say, <clears throat> I told myself it was a, I told myself I wasn't going to cry. Because <clears throat> if you do this, <clears throat> it makes the tears suck back into your head. <laughs> so he's like, okay. And, and, right, and guys, once you say, I told myself I wasn't going to cry, that opens the floodgates. <laughs> Just to give you a little bit of info. So you wait and everyone's like, oh, I feel for you. All the dads are like, I got you. I feel you. <laughs> then he starts up again. I just want to, it just comes out. Yeah, that's what comes out. All emotional. Why is it so emotional? Because it's such a huge day for him. Friends, if I could get you to understand anything, like I said, Jesus is enamored with you. 
likes you, loves you, enjoys you, enjoys his walk with you, enjoys you walking with him. And so this kid comes up and goes, Brandon, just, I don't feel, I don't feel worthy. I don't feel worthy. And so I was sitting there and I'm like, do I say it? So I said, come here, just a sec, come closer. And I went, you're not. And his eyes got big. He's like, oh. <laughs> and it's like I just, bro- I just burst the bubble that mama had always told, you're worthy, you're worthy. You are a worthy little boy. It's like, for some reason, I said, Phew. I said, you're not. <laughs> Seriously, he looks and goes, okay, thanks. And he starts to walk away. <laughs> And so I let him. No, I didn't. I said, come here, wait, 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 wait. I said, I'm not done. He comes right before me and I go, dude, you're not worthy and neither am I. But the cross is God's declaration that you're worth it. Like, do you hear that? Friends, we're not worthy of what Jesus did, but the cross is God's exclamation. You're worth it. Friends, that's how much he loves us. What would happen if you believed that you were the disciple whom Jesus loved? How would it look different? Verse 7, that the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard this, I'm sorry, heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work. (laughs) That's such an awkward fishing trip. And threw himself into the sea. (laughs) This is the part I don't understand. It's like, I've always watched Olympic swimmers. They come out with their parkas. I don't know what that means. They're indoors. They got their Princess Leia headphones on. They're ready to go, right? Then they do that weird back, like, guys, it freaks me out. When they start doing the warm-up and they're just, their shoulders are going nuts, and then they do this, and they go, and I go, oh my gosh, I just did it. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) Maybe I'm a swimmer. Nope. (laughs) But they just start doing all that stuff, and then they get ready to get on the blocks to go. They take off the parka, and then they swim, but not with Simon. Simon's like, it's the Lord. Give me my coat. (laughs) Just takes off and starts swimming. Why swim when when you're in a perfectly good boat? Verse 8, the other disciples came in the boat. Peter's like, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. And all of them like, hey, we'll see you when you get there. All right, see you later. And they just pass him. And they're they're hauling all the fish. So Peter decides to swim 100 yards as fast as he can, fully clothed. Disciples show up with fish. Verse 9, when they got out of the boat, I'm sorry, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread my favorite verse in the Bible. Bread. I love bread. <laughs> Every time I see it, I'm not allowed to have as much anymore because when you get older, life just sucks. <laughs> I'm just joking. But I'm not, I don't, don't eat as much. I said, guys, I'm so excited for heaven because when we get into heaven, Jesus is going to make bread and you just put butter on it and it's going to give you abs. <laughs> <laughs> right? 
<laughs> like it's just like, and I'm not just saying like a six pack, I mean like on my back, on my neck, like just abbed all over, guys. I'm just gonna be like, ah, broccoli, get out of here. Gravy, yeah, like it's, this is heaven. Jesus made breakfast and you know it's gotta be good. And then Jesus said in verse 10, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Just bring some of them. So here's Simon. Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Okay, seven of them are fishing, and then there's Jesus. Jesus says, go get me some of your fish. And Peter's, got it. I just swam 100 yards. This is like CrossFit. I, ran for, I swam fully clothed 100 yards. Now I'm going to drag 153 fish out of the boat or out of the water onto land. I'm sitting there going, how hungry do you think they are? Why do you need to swim 100 yards? Why do you need 153 fish? Friends, it doesn't say in the passage, and so I just wonder if it was this. Remember, Peter said, I'll never, I'll never desert you. And Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times before morning. Do you ever find yourself trying to prove to Jesus that you love him so you'll go above and beyond anything that he ever asked because you don't really believe that he loves you? You're not quite sure if he still likes you or loves you because of something that you've done. And I wonder, it doesn't say it, I just wonder if that's what the motivation behind Peter just going so hard. Instead of realizing you were right when you said that, but I'm still loved by you. I love that John got it, and oh, how I wish that Peter had it before now. And then Jesus said to them, verse 12, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord, and Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Wow. Here's why this is so important. First of all, he calls him Simon, son of John. That's what he called him first. He says, you'll be called Peter, but now he goes back to the beginning. When he first meets him, Simon, you're Simon, son of John. And then he says, do you really love me more than these? Because didn't Peter say something like, even if all of these scatter, I never will. And Jesus says, do you really love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, well, feed my lambs. It's like, let's get to work. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, well, then tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, well, feed my sheep. Friends, why do you think he asked him three times and not just the one? I think it's because of this, because Peter denied him three times. Jesus went right for the jugular to make sure, hey, we're going to deal with this. Friends, there's something beautiful that happens when you get raw and honest with Jesus, with, with Jesus. And it's something pretty rad that Jesus isn't afraid to get raw and honest with us. But it's interesting when he says, Peter, do you love, or Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you agape me? Agape is this, 
This love of Jesus that's not dependent upon emotion or experiences or feelings. It's a, it's a choice that we make to love people. How do I know? Guys, it can't be based upon emotion or feeling because here in the Bible, Jesus says, I want you to agape your enemies. And then Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, husbands, I want you to agape your wives. Like Jesus agape the church. It can't be based upon emotion because I don't feel a lot of emotion for enemies. It's like, well, I can't love like that. I know, that's the point. And then we say this, Holy Spirit, would you help me love? For the byproduct of having a relationship with God is the Holy Spirit in us, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He gives us those things as we stay in intimate relationship with him. So he says, he says Peter, Simon, do you agape me? And Simon says, Lord, I phileo you. That's just like, are we, we're brothers. Not agape, not completely committed without choice. It's like, no, we got a brotherhood going on, but that's where I'm starting. The next time, Jesus, do you agape me? I phileo you. The third time, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? It's almost like Jesus says, then I'll go where, I'll start where you are but I'm going to bring you to where I want you to be. And then he says this, verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Guys, how can that make sense? Isn't it like, okay, doesn't it sound like someone was defeated? How can the death of another person bring glory to God? How could the death of a follower of Christ, how could a martyr bring glory to God? And there's that part in Genesis when Joseph looks at his brothers and says something like, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. Friends, God will use anything and everything to what? To make sure that he receives glory. It's like, is he selfish? No. Friends, he is the greatest good. And the thing that people need the most is the greatest good. They don't need any of us. They don't need us to be noticed. They need him to be glorified. One of the hard things I've done as a pastor was a youth pastor when I first started out. A, uh, I was doing youth ministry, and I had a part-time high school guy and a part-time junior high guy. And the junior high guy was on a mission trip in Africa when someone called the church and told us that this little guy, about a 12-year-old who was in the junior high group, died. Complications um, from diabetes. He was just this little, I mean, he's like this big. And I remember this kid. I had some run-ins with him. I had to deal with a couple things that he had done, and, but, he had, but he, he kept coming. And so when I got the phone call that he was in the hospital and if somebody could come, and so I went, and when I showed up, I, I didn't see mom, but I saw the aunt. And I walked in, and there's this little guy on the table, on this, not the gurney, but just this bed. He's got all these tubes plugged in, and, and I'm looking at it, and there's no, there's no brain waves, nothing. And I looked at the aunt, I said, where's your sister? And she says, She's, she just can't handle it right now. 
I said, I get that. And then this woman said, where is he? How do you answer that? Do you ever feel the pressure that you have to have the words every time that's going to fix it? Friends, let me, <laughs> let me release you from that. You won't. Sometimes the best thing that you can do for someone who's going through it is just be there. Even if you just sit there. And so I prayed with her, and he, was, he wasn't there. That's all I said, and I went back to the office, and I looked up this kid's name and saw that he had come to Christ a few weeks before. They asked me to do the funeral. Again, the junior high pastor was out of the country, and so I willingly did it. I said, absolutely, I'll do it. And we did it at this church that had more room, this little church that we were at, the building that is. We did it at another, another worship center, and there's about 400 people that showed up, and two of them, 200 of them were middle schoolers from his school. I remember that the administration of this school had said, you can't go, we can't have as many students, we can't have all these students go, and I'm so glad they, they did anyway. Because you gotta say bye to your friend, right? You gotta mourn. And so we're going through it, and I'm starting off, and we get a song going, I'm already starting to lose it, and I finished the message, or before the message, I then ask, hey, this is a time for you guys to share. Anybody wanna share anything? We usually send the microphone around. That's usually how we do it. First little guy gets it, and he goes, this sucks. And my response was not, how dare you speak like that in the house of the Lord? My response was, you're right. This sucks. How do I know this sucks? Because Jesus wept at a funeral. He he wept when his friend died, and he showed up, and he was going to bring him back from the dead, and he knew he was going to do it, and yet he still cried. One after another, kids took the mic and they would say a couple things and some adults would say some things and then I preached the gospel. And I don't know how many people and how many kids, but all of a sudden I saw some kids just raising their hand, I want to surrender to Jesus, I want to surrender to Jesus, I want to surrender to Jesus. Can you see how God can be glorified through death? Another time, a few few years ago, uh, I went on a mission trip with this woman named Dora she was a Palauan woman. She's like, seriously, this tall. But everyone was terrified of her because she was afraid of nothing. She's like, Brian, I want to go to Palau. I want you to go on a mission trip to Palau. I'm like, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So I've already talked to Pastor Sean. He's going to put it all together. We're going to get some youth and we're going to go. You're going to go and you're going to preach everywhere. Yes, ma'am. And so we show up and seriously, we preach. I preached everywhere. I remember one of the first places we showed up is this in this little village. And as we get there, she goes, Brian, I just want to, she's like, how excited is this? You're going to preach the governor of this area. It's going to be here to hear you preach. I'm like, what? A governor? Now it's the governor of the village that had about 50 people in it. But I'm like, yeah, royalty time. (laughs) So I finished the message. And all of a sudden I sit down and she comes over. She's talking to a couple people and she comes back over and they go, they want to hear another one. And I'm like, uh, I've never, I've never in my career had anyone say encore. <laughs> I mean, that band will get one more song, one more. No one goes, one more sermon. <laughs> I'm like, well, what, what am I supposed to, like, what do they want me to preach? She's like, I don't know. You better figure it out. Oh, well, you're a lot, of, you're really helpful. 
She walks away. She's like, you got to go five minutes until we finish this song. Get back up there. No mic, just in this little, small little area. And then I just preach another one. They're just eating it up. We go from that to another place to preach. Go from that to another place. Next day we're preaching. Then she takes me to the prison. We go in and she's like, I'm going to get all of them ready. And they're going to hear you preach. You're just going to preach. I'm like, okay, yes, ma'am. So we walk in the prisons and no joke, she's, open. she's got this dude. He has no neck. Like his shoulders are up to his ears. He's all tatted up. And she's like, da 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 He's like, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. <laughs> I then begin to preach. Guys, it was, it was for two weeks. We're just going, 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 going. I love this woman. Absolutely incredible follower of Jesus. And I remember the first time she got breast cancer. And we prayed over her in our worship service on a Thursday night, and God healed her. Like, she went to the, she went to the doctor, and she, he's like, it's gone. But on this trip in Palau, she said, Brian, it came back. She didn't tell anybody else. It's just the two of us. Will you pray for me again when we get back? I said, of course we will. And we prayed. And I tried to do it the same way, thinking I found the secret mojo. Not this time. I remember sitting in a staff meeting and one of the pastors had seen her and he says, if you want to see Dora before she passes, you need to go. And so I picked up my stuff and left the staff meeting. I was so thankful to have a pastor who didn't say, hey, sit down. He's like, go, get, go, go. And I showed up and there she was laying on the bed, this oxygen mask covering her whole face, covering her whole face. I'd never seen one of those before. And I walked in and I leaned over and someone said, hey, Dora Bryan's here, and her eyes just opened up. I'm not sure if that's what she wanted to see, right? When I'm like right there. You're like, what the? <laughs> I, said, I said, Dora, and she grabbed my hand. I leaned over to the, her left side. I said, Dora, you're going to beat me to Jesus. And her face lit up. Like, she smiled so big. And I sat in the room for the next three hours. Hardly said a word. One of the daughters was there. One of the daughters was flying in from the Bay Area. Her husband was there. Then all of a sudden, this older woman from our church showed up with a hymn book and just started reading hymns over her and scripture over her. And I sat there going, this is amazing. Guys, do you realize in Psalm 116, verse 15, it says, precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. And I went, this is precious. So it was time for me to go. I looked at the husband and said, can I just have a couple minutes? He goes, absolutely. I mean, she was kind of like my rock. And I, I, I leaned over again and grabbed her hand. I said, Dora, and her eyes opened up again. I said, Dora, remember, you're going to beat me to Jesus, and I just love you. And then when I said I love you, she just takes my hand and pulls it right to her chest. So now I'm sitting like, I'm standing like this over the bed. And, I'm, and I'm, it's almost like I want to say, man, my back really hurts. But you don't want to say that to a person who's dying. It's like, just suck it up. So I'm looking for something to sit down and someone moves a stool and I'm like, there we go. And I just sat there for like another five to ten minutes. Not saying a word, she just held, but man, she just smiled. Oh, she smiled. And her memorial service was one of the most amazing worship services I've ever been part of. Friends, God 
can glorify himself through anything. Look at that last part in verse 19. This he said to show him by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. And Peter's first response is like, well, what about that guy? What about John? Like, this is what I'm going to have to go through, but what about them? We would never do that, right? As followers of Jesus, we would never compare our lives with somebody else to see who has it harder or easier and look at God saying, why do I have it harder than that follower of Jesus? How come I'm having to go through this and they're not going through anything? All the while, we have no idea what people are facing. And what's Jesus' response? Verse 22, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Followers of Jesus, one thing, follow Jesus. Brian, that's massive. I know. That's why it is so mind-blowing to me that he says, I'm going to give you another helper. You can't do it by yourself. And he never expected that you would. To go make disciples of the whole stinking, of the whole stinking world? Are you kidding me? Guys, think about it. He's looking at his disciples. He's getting ready to ascend He says, I want you to go. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, because I have all the might, all the right, I'm in charge. Go, make disciples, go. The word go is keep going. Don't stop. Friends, if we know the remedy, why are we so quiet about it? And somebody like, oh, Brian, you have a spiritual gift of evangelism. I don't. But I want to follow Jesus. It's over the last two years, here's what I've been praying. God, make me more graciously bold and boldly gracious to bring you up in conversations. Why? Because in the words of this incredible preacher from a long time ago, he says this, every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. Every follower of Jesus is on a mission. Therefore, you're a missionary. It doesn't matter if you have a passport to go somewhere. All you do, you follow Jesus. And wherever he has you, you are a missionary in that place. And if he sends you somewhere else, you're a missionary in that place. Friends, this is what I tell my church community, the one that God has entrusted to me, which still freaks me out. He lets me do this. I tell him, your mission field starts in your zip code. You are where you are to make an impact. So who's the one today or this week that you will impact for the cause of the gospel? But doesn't it feel like a lot of responsibility? Yeah. But isn't it great that Jesus says, go make disciples? of all nations, baptize them and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Oh, and by the way, I will be with you. Like, what? Remember the one who measures this, the universe with the span of his hand? The one who keeps everything together? The one who spoke light into existence, breathed out the sun? The one who made everything that we see, don't see. The things that we do understand and don't understand. The one who's eternal and outside of time and yet lives inside of time, interacting with us. That God says, I will be with you to the very end. Friends, we can't lose. But again, we may say, that's too much. It's kind of like this. I think we're still good. One more story, you ready? 
when my boys were little, kind of like four and two or five and three, something like that. I was outside washing the cars and I was done with mine. I was finishing my wife's, like just drying it. That's all apart. Then all of a sudden I hear, we had a tiny, tiny little house. The garage door is open. Then I hear the door leading from the kitchen to the garage open. And I hear my wife go, go help dad. And I went, because I was done. And I knew what was going to happen when they came out. It meant that I was not going to be done. And so they come out and Tyler goes, run into the hose. And he grabs it and he runs over to the street and just starts watering the street. It's like, my son is the reason we have a drought. (laughs) He just wasted it all on the street. That's all he did. I'm like, Tyler, what are you doing? He's like, I'm washing the street. Okay. All I see is money just going down the street. I'm like, okay. Then Dylan. So I'm guessing he's like three, two or three. No joke. He walks over to the grass picks one blade of grass, walks over to the soap bucket, dips it in, and then starts painting the bumper of my wife's car. (laughs) So just picture it. He's walking like a drunk monkey, does that, walks over, and I'm just like, like, what are you doing? And he starts to paint the bumper. And I go, hey, Dill, Dill, hey, what, what are you doing? He goes, I help dad. I'm like, why are you guys yelling at me? Like, are you mad? Are you passionate? He's like, I'm just I didn't help dad. Okay. So he does the paintbrush <laughs> from the grass. And then as he starts to go away, he dips it again. And I go over to wipe it off. He goes, no, 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 I'm not done. Okay. He goes over, starts painting the bumper again. I look at Tyler, you good? I'm good. Just water in the street. After the second time, Dylan goes, all done. Buddy, thank you so much. Like I thanked him. I didn't look at him and go, that was a waste of your time. I get a clue, kid. I'm like, Dylan, I couldn't have done this without you. I couldn't have done this without you. Whatever. So he's, he's done. He starts to waddle back into the house. And Tyler, he's like, Dad, I'm done. I'm like, you didn't really do anything. Okay, come on, give me the hose. And I'm putting it away. I get everything put away. And as I start to walk in the garage, this thought pops in my head. And then this was the thought. Never forgotten it. It was like this. That's what it's like when you help me. No. No. I'm Necessary. No, I'm invited onto the playground that Jesus owns. Friends, if you ever use the word never, that'll never happen. That'll never happen. Never is God's playground. That could never happen. That person will never come to Jesus. That situation will never change. Those people over there, they will never, they will never, it will never, it will never, it will never happen. And God's like, I'm just writing this down because that's my playground. And that's what he invites us to. Friends, as we close up, I want to encourage you. Don't strive to live to just have the experience. Just live and walk with Jesus and love him more than anything. And it's going to feel mundane. You're going to read the Bible, and there's parts that's going to pop out and blow your mind, and other parts you're going, really, what is this? God, what am I supposed to get from this? And once you do that and you spend time in prayer, then what do you do? Go live it. 
Guys, go serve. I dare you to go bring Jesus up in a conversation and see what happens. Some will be receptive and some won't. But we have to come back to, is Jesus worth it? And this relationship that I have with God because of Jesus, oh, the whole world needs this. The whole world needs this. Will you do it? I'm always encouraged. Think about it. Jesus started with 12. One of those 12 <laughs> betrayed him to death. And now he's had millions and millions of followers since then. I say this, school's starting up soon. Hold on, don't freak out yet. Welcome to your mission field. What would happen if all of a sudden you just go for it on your campus? And what if more people came to know Jesus? And what all of a sudden there's so many people on that campus that love Jesus, it feels like a Christian school that the state pays for. Friends, there's nothing stopping us. We can do this. Because we're invited by God to go with him, not to go for him. Go with him. Live by him, not just for him. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Why? Because he's worth it. He's worth it. Let me pray. So, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will. You will burden our hearts for those who don't know Jesus. I pray it would be a burden on us, God, that they don't know you. And that, Holy Spirit, you would fill us and anoint us and empower us to go and to live and to love and to react and to respond like Jesus. Father, I pray that you would use us, your church, to meet needs, to care for widows and orphans in their time of need, to stand with and for the oppressed, to stand for the rights of the unborn, those who don't have a voice. All the while, while we do that, to bring up the gospel, the necessity of relationship with Jesus. Oh God, Holy Spirit, oh flood us with boldness that we can't control, that is dripping in grace. Oh God, burden our hearts and cause us to go with the same passion and desire that you did when you came for us. And may we live with the true conviction that Jesus, you are the way the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through you. But we, may we never, ever replace intimacy in our relationship with you with working for you. Help us to love you more and to do all of this because we love you. God, thank you for an incredible week with these students and youth workers. I'm so excited for what's next, God. Thank you that you're not done. And all that you do, all that you've done and all that you will do. To you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.